Good morning, church. It is the first Sunday of Advent. Did you know this? Maybe this tipped you off, that this is the first Sunday of Advent. It's good to be together. I pray that God blessed you and your family and your gatherings at Thanksgiving, that your heart was filled with a great sense of gratitude, indeed a deep gratitude, uh, for all that God has done and continues to do and how he blesses our life in rich abundance. We are in these next four Sundays, turning our hearts towards something that's coming toward us, that God has done, that God has moved toward us and continues to move toward us. How many of you know what the word Advent means? Advent? From the Latin Adventus? Does that give you any more clues? Adventus? Ad meaning to. Ventus, that is to come. We are anticipating something, indeed someone, that is to come in uh, this uh, season of turning. And so this morning we open our hearts to receive God's Word. I share with you now this reading from 1 Peter 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more perishable than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. Sometimes when I'm reading through a passage of Scripture, there's a phrase that just catches me in the moment. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We have hope. Let us pray. Oh God, as we turn our hearts full toward you, we pray that you would move toward us by your word and by your spirit. That you would fill us, though we face um, oftentimes um, grief and trials with an indescribable hope that is rooted in something eternal. This reality that stretches long before us and stretches out in front of us that you, O oh God, are near and coming towards us and filling us with hope. 
Bless your people gathered in this place in anticipation of something greater than ourselves, in anticipation of something greater than all that we see and know. Though we do not see you with our eyes, we love you. Though we cannot see you now, we believe in you. Hear our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if there were any doubt before, it's unmistakable now. We have turned the corner. Somewhere back in, I don't know, September or October, when we first started to walk into stores and see that the Christmas decorations were already out and we were groaning already, we turned to each other and said, already? Really? It seems to move earlier and earlier every year. Can we not just suspend that for a little bit? At least get to Thanksgiving? Well, make no mistake about it. We've turned the corner and are full-blown into this season. The lights on stores and houses and street posts. There is holly and ivy and ribbons and bows and How many of you over Thanksgiving put a Christmas tree up? I'm just curious. How many of you now, how many of you before Thanksgiving put a Christmas tree up? See, told you. There are parades and festivals this last weekend, just after Thanksgiving, down the road in Bernie. We kicked off the Dickens on Main. For those of you... Literary types, it's not just like, what the dickens is going on here? It's actually a celebration of the season, and the lights on stores are all up, and you know the whole thing. I used to lament all this early Christmas decoration stuff, but not anymore. Because Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have this hope, and there are signs of it everywhere. Hope in the season of Advent hits hard. Do you know that phrase? I've learned that phrase. My son is 17, and he wants to improve the sound system in his car. And so we're shopping for sound systems in the car. And I've learned that the subwoofer is a pretty important component. And the subwoofer, get this, needs to hit hard. Now, the translation there is, it needs to thump. It needs to be right on time. There's a way of using that phrase, it hits hard, like I would think of it like something just hit me really hard. In this other sense, to hit hard means that it's right on time. That it's right on the beat. That it resonates with us. Hope in the season of Advent hits hard. It hits hard. It's this season, did you know, that stretches through the longest and darkest part of the year. The earth's poles reach their maximum tilt away from the sun in this season, meaning that the nights are the longest and the days are the shortest. You've probably noticed that since the time change. In fact, 
all the lamenting about the time change is really connected to this tilt in the earth's sun and trying to capture more of the daylight because during this season, the nights get really, really long. We lived for a time, a short time. We lived up in Canada, in Ontario. For a while, when the girls were young, we were there for about, I don't know, a year and a half. And there was this time of the year right now that we're in, entering here in November, into December, and into January, where literally, when we got up to take the kids to school, it was still pitch dark. And by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun was already mostly down. Long, dark nights. This is Advent. The space where hope hits hard. Peter writes these words that we've shared together that were read so well for us leading into the sermon that we've heard read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes... To God's chosen ones, he says, in verse 2, who are scattered. It's the diaspora, the scattering of early Christian followers of Jesus who early on sold out everything for the sake of the promise. The word that was declared as God had come into the world, the long-awaited Messiah had come into the world, that the light has dawned in the darkness. Remember this from the prophets? And John the Baptist proclaiming this news about the light of the world and Jesus himself ushering in this new dawn that the kingdom of God has come near. It's imminent. It's pressing in. It's right at hand. These early followers believed all that wholeheartedly. And they believed that even after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that the promise was that he was coming again. That the return of God to the world to set things right, to make things whole, to illuminate the darkness was at hand. And yet in the face of that promise, they experienced something different. Driven from their homes and sometimes separated from their families, they were scattered across Asia Minor, these followers of Jesus. He's writing to people In the space between the sunset and the dawn, the long, dark night of waiting to those sitting in Advent. And if you're sitting in that space, well, hope hits hard. You know, uh, this is a little excursus. Excursus just means a little rabbit trail. (laughs) That's all it means. Fancy word for boy, he's down a rabbit trail. That's what this is. So, in my studies over the years, um, as they evolved in different um, ways and forms and degrees, I found a really meaningful and fruitful friend in the theological journey. (laughs) It was probably what I would argue is the most significant, influential, a theologian of the 20th, 21st century. His name is, if you're jotting this down, no, you don't have to jot this down. Don't jot this down. His name is Jürgen Moltmann. Moltmann. We can just call him Jürg for short. How about that? Moltmann was one of the most significant 
influencers of theological thought in the, in the 20th century. He wrote a book, his seminal work, his most important work, was titled this, Theology of Hope. Now you're going, oh, well, I see why he would mention that now. Theology of Hope. And Moldbon pointed this out, and I'm going to do this in really simplified terms because theologians can drift off into the stratosphere sometimes. Moldman said, basically, that for the people of God, their whole existence and life as the people of God issues from a word, which makes sense, right? The word of God spoke, and there was, and, and more importantly, their existence as the whole people of God, as the community of God's people, those he claims and loves, issued from a word of promise. That word of promise came to whom? Starts with an A. Abraham, right? He calls Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he says, I will make you to be a people, even in their old age and in their barrenness. I will make you to be a people, and those people will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. You won't even be able to count them. It's a grand promise of what God intended to do. And not only would it be for, it's not just for Abraham and Sarah's sake, but it's for the sake to bless the whole world, right? That the people of God exist, their existence issues from a word of promise about how God will bless them and keep them and multiply them and how they will flourish and they will represent God's desire for the world and God's shalom and God's peace and all of that. And so Abraham and Sarah walk forward in faith issued on the trajectory or the horizon of that word of promise. Are you with me? Until. In the life of God's people, as it moves forward in that hope, their experience of reality completely disrupts that word of promise. It's true. The next thing you know, well, actually it's a few hundred years, <laughs> as God's people flourish and move forward in hope, they are taken captive. They are. Um, captives and they are scattered. Their homes are demolished. They are separated from each other. This is exile for the people of God. Wait a minute. But God told us we would be God's own people. He would love us and he would bless us and we would flourish and we believed that and we walked forward in that hope. And so how do you reconcile this with that experience of reality, when everything that they had hoped in seems to be disrupted. Moltmann, who was German, used the German word that we translate or in transliterate, catastrophe. It's better, you know, if you know German, it's better if you say it in German because everything sounds more mean and abrupt in German. Catastrophe. It is this experience of disruption, of breach, a tension that's created between, wait a minute, I thought that the world was configured this way and that God had blessed the world and set the world in motion in this way, and yet this has happened, and I don't know how to make sense of that anymore. That's something of the Reader's Digest version of what Moltmann was getting after, and he said, in that moment, when you sit in the breach, in the catastrophe between the word of promise that created this horizon in which you had hoped. 
when that's all been disrupted, you have to sit in that moment and reappropriate the word of promise again. Find it again. Catch the horizon again. This is the nature of hope. It is not this blind belief that if you just believe hard enough or you hope well enough that everything works out fine. It is this catching again, the word of promise in the midst of the breach, in the midst of the longest, darkest night that season, Advent. So here we are, this first Sunday of Advent, walking dead into the long, dark night. And I want to leave you with a few things uh, this morning. One is that for every candle lit on this table, on your table, every candle lit in every store you enter, every light that is strung on your house, on your tree, on the street, every glimmer of light in this season is our expression of grabbing again this hope. Now, if you get you know, nothing else out of these four sermons in the season of Advent, nothing else out of this, this sermon this morning, I hope you'll take that little piece. That when you walk out of here and you see a light that you didn't see there before because someone put it there because Christmas is coming, that when you do this in your own house or when you um, drive through the neighborhoods, you know, we used to do this when we were kids. We still do it sometimes with our grandkids now. Pile in the car, everyone. We're going to drive through the neighborhoods and see the lights. That you're not just entertaining yourself. You're tapping into this deep desire, this search through the long, dark night for hope. There it is. There it is. There it is. This search, this longing for hope. We are wading through the long, dark night searching for hope and for all the anticipation that may be building. I want you to know that it's a vulnerable place. It's vulnerable because we are vulnerable um, in the long, dark night because the darkness is real and it's unrelenting. It's easy to lose the horizon. The darkness becomes too much and hope fades and life ebbs away from us. It happens over and over and over again. First church I served in Wichita Falls, I've talked about Wichita Falls before. So, um, there was a young family there. They were a beautiful young family. They had three young children. And she was the kind of mom that was really into um, the kids all dressing the same. Remember that? Some of you may have some pictures of kids like that. And for those of you whose parents don't do that uh, these days, um, you're lucky. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, the kids' outfits, they all matched. And they were color-coordinated and pattern-coordinated with dad's tie that also matched. And mom's dress that also matched. They were as put together as any church, young little church family you have ever seen. As put together. And they lived in the neighborhood near the church, and you could drive by their house, and you know you looked at their house, and you go, well, yeah, you know, there you go. It looked as put together as any house in the neighborhood. And then there was one weekday when I was at the church office, and the phone rang. And someone said, can you get to the house? And I said, absolutely. And when I arrived, the police cars were there. And when the police approached me, they said, are you the minister, the pastor from the church? Yes. And they explained what had happened. And dad was away at work and mom was home with the kids. And she had locked herself in the back bathroom and left the kids alone in the front room. And it was too much for her. The darkness was too much for her. We are vulnerable. All of us are vulnerable. That beneath the facade of everything put together, and maybe we have been guilty of creating this. Those of us who have faith and who have attempted to follow God over the years are guilty of creating the kind of conditions in which we assume that when all of us come together here, we have to have everything put together. And you have to look like it's all put together. It's not true. We are not always all okay. Sometimes the darkness is too much. There, there are many ways in which we try and keep the darkness at bay. We are vulnerable. So to those, all of those who are hard-pressed on every side, know this, that the God who came to us in Jesus, who entered into the darkest place and faced death itself, did not come to that place so that we would not have to be there. That's a misnomer of faith. It is a distorted theological presupposition. He did not come to sit in darkness and face death so that you wouldn't have to. He came to sit with you in it so that you, with him, could face the darkness and receive the gift of life through it. There's a difference. There's a difference. The God who entered the darkest place and faced death itself, overcoming death with life, the God who came to us in Jesus and comes to us again and again and again to sit with us in the darkness, is finally coming in the end. We have this hope in Jesus. We have this hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. In all this you rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief. Don't miss that part. We have hope in Jesus who has come to be with us even in the darkest, longest night, the most vulnerable spaces of our lives. And we are vulnerable in the long, dark night also because we are deeply anxious and so desperately want hope hope, that we begin to attach it in all the wrong places. We are vulnerable in the long night, in the season of Advent, because we are so anxious and we want hope so badly, we need hope so badly that we begin to attach it in all the wrong places. We place hope in ourselves. Sometimes telling ourselves that if I could just get myself together, then I can find a way through this. Or if I had just been a better person. Or fill in the blank. We locate hope in our own selves, in our own ability. This is not our hope. You are not your own hope. We place our hope in each other. Ah, if I could find the right church, this one is too messed up. Then everything would come together and be okay. Or let me bring it down to another level. Um, because I've been around college-age kids for a little while. If I could find just the right person, my life would come together. Your hope is not in someone else. Not in some group of people, and not in some other person to fulfill all your wildest hopes and dreams. This is not our hope. Sometimes we place our hopes in a plan that we concoct in our own minds for how our life should go. You know that one? It comes to us very early. We think, oh, I'll do this and then this and then this and then this and this is how I've constructed the plan for my life. It will all work out this way. Sometimes it involves our marriages and families. Sometimes it, invo- and, and sometimes it involves our careers and what we will obtain. We'll move from this position to the next one, or we'll build a business, and then we'll grow the business, and, and then all of that gets disrupted. Moltmann would say, catastrophe. We place our hope in a future that we construct for ourselves on our own terms. This is not our hope. Or, since he feels like meddling a little bit this morning, we place our hope in a political system. Yeah. 
that if we could just get it right, then all this would come together into a glorious future with hope. Oh, come on. How long have you been saying that? How many generations think that? We place our hope in a person elected? This is not our hope. I am t- I'm just going to say, I am tired of Christians who are behaving as if all of that is the locus of the hope of the future. It's not true. We have hope in Jesus. Period. The vulnerability is that we are so anxious about the future. Deeply anxious and we so desperately want a future with hope that we begin to attach it to all the wrong things. You know this phrase, we do not trust in horses and chariots. You know where that phrase comes from? The horses and chariots of men, we do not trust in this. It comes from the story of Exodus. That's where it comes from. Where the people of God, I said this last week, are delivered from a life with no future and no hope in Egypt. And God leads them out in to a future with hope, to the banks of a future with hope. And they're marching out into that future, liberated, God going before them into that future. And what do they run up against? Well, there's the Red Sea. We're not going around it. I'm telling you, the Red Sea is, here's Moltmann, Catastrophe. We believed you, Moses, and you let us out here, and now look over your shoulder. The reality is that those horses and chariots are coming for us. And what does God do? In ways that they could not see or imagine, he opens the future for them, and it's through the water that he leads them into a new future, and it's through the water that he dashes those horses and chariots. And so on the other side, you know what they sang? They sang, the horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. And they say, for generations after that, that's why you find it throughout the Old Testament and in the Psalms, we do not trust in the horses and chariots of men. It is not our hope. You translate that to whatever you need to translate that in for you today. But when you place your trust in the horses and chariots of men, you place them, your hope, in the wrong place. We have hope in Jesus. There was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. He was waiting and waiting and waiting. That's the language in Luke 2. He was, I just stop right there. 
He was waiting. It says for the consolation of Israel just after that. But basically, he's just waiting and waiting for God's future. Through long days and even darker nights, Simeon is in the house of the Lord waiting. But on this day, Luke tells us, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he was moved toward this couple with a child who walked in the back door. He was moved toward Jesus. Here we stand with Simeon. We have hope in Jesus. And not only is Simeon there in the house of the Lord, but there was also there a woman. Her name was Anna. She too was serving a prophetess in the house of the Lord. She was very old. Sorry, I'm going to say an age, but it's not me, it's the Bible. So don't, don't get mad at me. The Bible says she was very old, and then it tells us she was 84. Argue with Luke if that's a problem for you. She was given in marriage when she was very young, as the custom in that day, problematic though it was. She was given in marriage at a very young age, but after seven years of marriage, her husband died, and she had lived all these years a widow. Anna. She never left the temple, it says. She never left. It was her whole life. Day and night, it says, she fasted and prayed. Through long days and even darker nights, she fasted and she prayed. Here we stand with Anna. We have hope in Jesus. In Jesus. Light the candle, decorate the tree, turn on the lights, and with every little glimmer, say these words. We have hope. All together. We have hope.